afternoon, good evening. Welcome to today's episode of Musings with Jesus. My name is Shola. I am your host. Thank you for joining me. I hope you're well. I hope all is good with you in your world. I hope everything's fine and you're doing well. Today's the 11th of March. Today should have been an election day in Nigeria, by the way, but it had to be postponed by a week because of some legal proceedings um, that are ongoing about the last election, which was iconically <laughs> anyway it was uh, iconically less than transparent but anyway let's leave that i am so i'm going through a period whereby i am i am beginning to really understand the importance of prayer and i am i don't know about you but i'm one of those people that i think i learned about prayer i was taught about prayer the wrong way so I always felt that, I mean, this was what I saw people doing, so I always felt, you know, that was what I needed to do. I felt that when you wanted to seek the face of God for something, it needed to be like a project, and you needed to, like, you know, set time apart, and I'm going to pray, you know, go on a three days apart. I used to treat prayer like a program, like a project. And, you know, I wasn't like some other people. Some people are very good at that prayer project thing. They're forever doing those, you know, programs and they follow through. I was never really that kind of person. But I still felt in me that it was necessary to do that, you know, at certain times. Now, I still don't necessarily believe that that is wrong. But now I understand that there is a higher level of prayer. And maybe for my season now, that is the kind of prayer that I need. So I look at the lifestyle of Jesus. The only time I see that Jesus did a project kind of prayer was at the start of his ministry when he went into the wilderness and he prayed for 40 days. And he did that. And that was that, of course. And we know that that was by divine ability. In fact, angels had to come and minister for him. So please, all the people doing 40 days, Jesus did not ask us to do it too. <laughs> it's just that that's what he did. You know, and um, I don't even know. It was it was it forty days without eating at all. You know, but even well, anyways, that's that. You know that medically we are not supposed to do that, but I I think what people do now, depending on your health status, you pray and then you know if you are fasting, you add fasting with it, and then you break at a certain time of day, either noon, afternoon, or evening, depending on your medical state. I must say that. Um, but the Bible doesn't prescribe for us that we must fast. But we do see that Jesus did 40 days prayers and fasting of an undisclosed type. You know, we don't know whether he was drinking water, he didn't drink water. The Bible doesn't tell us all of that. But there is no way in the Bible where Jesus says, specifically, we should do 40 days or whatever. That's not left to us. We're just made to understand that we will fast, we should pray. It doesn't tell us whether one day, three days, half day, nothing. It doesn't even say whether it's a food fast or whatever. So most of that is what people just, as the spirit leads, and as good sense also dictates, you do. In fact, Paul, there was even no place where he did, you know, that there is no prescription about fasting in the New Testament, which is quite funny because Paul, usually you would expect he, he, he discussed a lot of things, but fasting, no. They just, they just mentioned it in, they would always say when you pray or when you fast, you know, but they won't tell you how, there was no how about how we fast. That's a digression, but maybe also necessary. But so that was the only time we saw Jesus do like a project kind of fast, a program fast, where he did it like 40 days and all that at the start of his ministry. After that, prayer became a lifestyle. 
it became something he did. He separated himself early hours of the morning. He found quiet places to pray. And he also prayed when he was amongst people, like with the disciples. He prayed for the sake he did, you know. So prayer was part of his 24, his waking moments, I would, I would imagine. And at times when he got overwhelmed, he separated himself, like at the Garden of Gethsemane, before they came for his arrest, he went separated himself and he prayed. And every time he had a burden, he would separate himself and pray. Honestly, I'm beginning to think that that's the way to handle this prayer life thing. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm sensing. Because I think the prayer, the project um, phase, and don't get me wrong, I think the sense I'm getting, if I look at people like Daniel, because Daniel too went on a project prayer, a lot of the Old Testament prophets did it at certain times. We don't really see... The New Testament doesn't really tell us that um, the disciples did it, even though I'm sure they did, but it doesn't record it. It's only that Jesus is one that we have in the New Testament. But what we see more often in the New Testament is people living a lifestyle of prayer. In other words, before they do anything, they pray. Before they go out, they pray. As they go out, they pray. As they minister, they pray. After they minister, they pray. As they come back, they pray. As they're persecuted, they pray. As they're imprisoned, they pray. As they're delivered, they pray. Before they die, they pray. Before they are, you know? Even Stephen, as they were stoning him, Stephen was praying. He said, Father, forgive them for they know what's not what they do. You know? Jesus on the cross was praying. So I'm beginning to understand that this is not a project, though. Prayer is not a project. Or if you're waiting for a project, I mean, really, do you understand? <laughs> Life will just be happening. And you can't be doing project prayer all the time. You can't. Otherwise, you're not going to do anything else. Because project prayer requires physical separation, time-consuming, you know, and all that. If you're really going to do it in the way that it's supposed to be. But I'm even, it's not even about whether you have the time. Because you may really actually have the time. It's about, is that really what is needed? So what I see if I look at the Bible and also what I'm experiencing in my life, is having an attitude of prayer at all times. We used to talk about in those days about being prayed up. So being prayed up is, we used to use that term, you know, uh, when we say I'm going for a meeting, I'm going for an interview, I have prayed up. And that's good. I like that prayed up because you pray yourself up, you build yourself up in the Holy Ghost, you know, you sort of like energize yourself, oil your spiritual juices, keep all your... Um, Holy Ghost, um, angelic vigilantes on alert. I like that, you know. But then, now I realize that it's not just being prayed up, but it's praying in and being prayer, you know, being in the tone of prayer, even while you are in that space. And this is not something that I have... I'm reflecting on this, and if you've noticed in the last few musings, we've been talking prayer, 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 prayer. Because I'm beginning to realize that there are situations in life that we just need to pray through. It's like swimming. When you are swimming in waters, you don't swim and stop. You know? Even because if you stop swimming, you're going to sink. You know what I'm saying? As long as you're in the water, you must be doing something. So you are either moving forward, even if you're not moving, you are treading water. You keep yourself afloat. You have to be doing something. And then, maybe for some reason you're not able to move or whatever, or you are taking a bit of a rest, you tread water, you try to float, and then you continue swimming again. But what you cannot do in the water is not doing anything. No. Then you better get out of the water. So we are in the oceans and the rivers of life. And there are things we must do. In our waking moment to keep us afloat. 
And there are also some things that we must do to keep us moving forward, to navigate the waters. That's prayer. It's not something you plan. So if you are in water, fish are forever. Do you understand? Say, fish are forever moving, swimming in water. You you know. Otherwise, <clears throat> you fall like a stone. So I'm beginning to realize that prayer is the is the how will I say? It's the gills, the breathing, the breath that we need to take us through the waters of life. And for that reason, it cannot be a project. It cannot be a program. Yes, you can have prayer. I can have prayer project. You can have prayer project. We can have prayer project. But we cannot base our life on the project only. We have to have the kind of um, rigor and routine that Jesus had. Whereby, as a lifestyle, prayer as in, you are so, you know, the, the, um, the, this word prayerful, where in my, in my native language, when we translate it, we, we translate it literally, we say being full of prayers. You know, they say, kekunfadura. In my native language, it actually translates it even more. Because what it's saying is that fill yourself up with prayer. And when somebody says it to you in my language, in Yoruba, you understand. It, it has deeper meaning than when I say be prayerful. Prayerful is almost like, okay, you know, when you need it, pray. But when they tell you, kufadura, <laughs> it means what they're telling you is that you must be full of prayer to overflowing. You yourself will know. You, as in me, I, I, like now, I know I'm not prayerful. I, I can say I am prayerful according to the English definition, but definitely not to the Yoruba definition, translation of that word. Because kufadura means you are bubbling. You are so saturated with prayer that everybody that touches you, the power of the prayer is coming out. Anything around you, the, the power of that prayer, you are bubbling with it, you are vibrating. You are consumed with the power and the energy of prayer. It's, it's a journey. And I know that the Lord telling me to meditate on it is because I need to grow in this area. I have been very lazy in my prayer life. But what? why I have been lazy in my prayer life? Because I thought prayer needed to be done as a project. So I always be like, okay, when I have time, I'll do this. But now I realize that, no, it doesn't have to be that way. If you have the time, do that. But the lifestyle prayer one, to me, seems very effective. Because what it does is... It situates you in the context of your everyday life rather than taking just one portion of your life and praying about it, which sometimes is necessary. But the lifestyle prayer helps you to pray everything else going on in your life. It is guided by the daily challenges and the situations you find yourself, like Jesus. So you pray according to the daily needs and the challenges that you see and you feel and what you are sensing. You don't, it's not program driven, it's not project driven, it's context driven. And there's scriptural reference for this. If we read the book of Ephesians 6, apart from the fact that we saw that this was how Jesus did, I mean, the John 17 prayer, one of, some of most of his most powerful prayers. In fact, it's funny that in the 40 days of fasting, we don't even get any recording of the prayer or whatever it was he prayed about. So it was not really for our benefit, it was between him and God. So that's fine. The only benefit we got from the 40 days prayer 
is the conversation he had with the devil where he now showed us how to deal with the devil's spiritual warfare when the devil comes with his thoughts his imaginations and his lies you defend it with the word of god you use the sword of the spirit which is the word of god and you use it against him and then the devil leaves so you have to know what's written in the word so that you know how to use the sword so that's fine that was what we got from that 40 days we didn't really get any other thing and then okay the fact that he actually did 40 days and he fasted but other than that no prayer he didn't share any of the prayers nobody shared it they, you know they didn't but then throughout the bible from the rest of the story we get we see him praying so many times we see him teaching the disciples how to pray in the lord's prayer we see him praying for the sick we see him praying for god when he says oh i know that you've heard me but for the sake of these people like we see him praying for lazarus to come out we see him praying passionately for the apostles in john 17 the valedictory prayer where he prayed about you know the people that we hear about him from them god keep them then in this world i'm not saying you should take them out of this world but keep them from the evil in the world in fact whenever i read john 17 and i hear and i read that passionate prayer that jesus prayed first of all it shows me how much god loves us it shows me how much jesus was really a shepherd and a leader because that is what a shepherd does when you know you are leaving your sheep you pray for their safety because you know you are no longer going to be physically there, but you are concerned. So he was making a personal plea to the Lord saying, you are the ones that gave me this once. I have kept them while I was here. Now I'm going. Please, I will not be here. Keep this once. Let the evil one not take them from my hand. You know, when I see the way he prayed against the evil, we, we have under, we, I, I fear that we Christians do not understand where we are in. We are in this world is actually Satan's headquarters. There is evil in this world. There is evil. I never used to understand why some people would decide, you know, like people like Paul who didn't get married and things like that. But now I understand. And I think we should make space in church for people who are not called to marry because truly the kind of warfare that we're supposed to be engaged in in this earth it is easier for those who are not married to to go through that uh, warfare you see these are the sort of truths that people don't want to hear we don't even hear it preached at all in our church in the modern church and i'm not saying forcing people like the way it's done in the catholic church where for you to be a minister you have to be um celibate no i'm saying people who have received that spiritually from God, like Paul did. It was a calling. So if you're a man of God and minister, you want to be ordained, you want to be married, that's fine. Because the Bible does say that a bishop should be husband of one wife. So God expects that church leaders should be married. But if you happen to be the kind of person like Paul, you can say that Paul was not really interested in that whole marriage thing, you know. Then I think we should embrace such people as well. Because, I mean, we have a lot of sisters like that. Of course, and people look at them like, it's, it's an abnormality. But some people, the truth is, I think it's a valid ministry for the sake of the gospel. Because, and Paul talks about it. He says, people who are um, who are not married, they are, they are concerned about the things, of how they will please the Lord. But that the people who are married, they are concerned about how they will please their husband, how they will please their children. And it's the truth. We struggle more with the cares of this life than people who don't have some of those things. But I, when I look at the way the world is right now, and the fact that, or rather the way the world is you know an evil system and the fact that we should be raising an army of soldiers of christ who will be as wise as a serpent and harmless as doves 
honestly I, I i can see why some people would be like paul because we need that kind of focus we need that kind of focus so that was a digression but let me just read ephesians 6 still on this topic of prayer so um ephesians 6 starting from verse 10 we read this scripture passage a lot but we focus on the armor of god we don't focus on what the armor of god helps us to do that scripture actually ends in prayer even though we focus a lot on the sort of the spirit helmet of salvation you know those funky and sexy looking things but we forget that that's that narrative was actually building up to bring us to the point of prayer so it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, this is a very important verse because what he's saying here is that being strong in the Lord is different from being strong in your own power. And God's strength, God's power is not the way we would see, particularly when you are fighting a spiritual battle. He now says, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. This is so important. The devil is extremely deceitful. The Bible describes him in Revelation as he that deceives the whole world. Do you know what it means to deceive the whole world? <laughs> That's like 8 billion people at any start that time. And he's deceived the whole world. So 8 billion times X amount of generations that have lived from creation. He's the great deceiver. And I've seen how people who follow him are also have that mask of deception. The Nigerian government, for instance, oh my goodness, champion gaslighters. They are so, I've never, the most deceptive. They can trick you. They know how to distract. They know how to deflect. They know how to deny. Yourself, you will be, you, they, you, they, as in you will be, you will be questioning your judgment at a, at a stage. Lie convincingly, passionately, Present the, they are, you know, the kind of people who can, con, you know, who can um, commit a crime and clean the, the, the sin in a way that you, you will begin to wonder. And they use all of the state machinery to do what they want to do. They are the father, the devil. The, the, and, and they do it with such passion and conviction. Like I said, if you are not clear in your values, at a stage you just give in and be like, okay, well, maybe I'm wrong, you know. You begin to question yourself. And that's how the devil is. They get their power from the devil. They, they have gotten their power, their inspiration. The devil is their mentor. He's coaching them and he's coaching them very well. So God is telling us through Paul that we should, we should put on the whole armor. It is a part of the armor. So that we can stand against the devil's schemes, his deception, his manipulation. He says, for our, the, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But against principalities, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world. No, I have to read this in King James. I'm reading it in NIV. It's not, I am not flowing with this version at all. The weapons of my warfare are not. Let me read it in King James, please. Okay, so I'm changing it to King James now. Okay, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle. Our warfare. We are, so look at the language. We are wrestling. It's a wrestling. Oh Lord. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. 
but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Just look at that. Look at the language. Principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We can talk, there's a whole thing we can reflect on all those, this spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places, but I'm not even sure this is podcast material, but, but let's just know that these things exist. Again, this is my pain. Nobody is teaching anybody about evil spirits anymore. We just don't teach it anymore. All we just do is just teach people to be binding and losing. That's why people are binding what they don't even know. And it's not having any impact because you don't even know what the Bible teaches about spirits, about demons, about our authority in Christ, why they are under our feet, or even how they even came to be in the position that they are in. Because I think that backstory is very important. I found it very important in my spiritual warfare journey because if we don't understand who they are and how they go to where they are and how they operate in, 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 in this modern world, and how the name of Jesus is above the name, the spiritual hierarchy in their own kingdom and the spiritual hierarchy of God's kingdom over and above them, then it's it's impossible for us to operate in that authority. It's like any government, like if you enter the Nigerian government, like we're all in the political season now, you have to understand if you are um, contesting for a role in the state assembly, you need to understand how the state assembly fits in with the state structures how the whole political system works. That's when you can then be a successful candidate in that place. If you do not understand the system that you are playing in, you are likely not to even get elected in the first place. But even if by chance you get elected, you will not exercise any authority, you will not exercise any power, you will not exercise any influence because you don't even know how the system works. That's why it's important for us to know these things. Not according to what man teaches or what the devil himself has already seeded into the minds of people through culture and mythology and all that. But from the perspective of the Bible, from the perspective of the person who we know will give us the truthful version. So from verse um, 13, now says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having guided your ways with truth, having put on the best plate of righteousness, and having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, verse 16, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, praying always, 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 always with all prayer and the supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and the supplication for all the saints. I mean, look at that language. And then he then says in verse 19, And for me, pray for me that utterance may be given to me, and that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. God bless Paul. You know, we did a, a, a musing some days back about boldness in Christ. Fear has no place in the testimony and the witness of Christ. A man of God should not be afraid about what he should say. When you are speaking under the authority of the Holy Spirit, we should not be afraid. We should not be afraid. We should not be diplomatic. We should not be diplomatic. Diplomacy is not a, 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 a testimony of Christ. You say it as you are led by the Spirit. 
Because the Spirit of the Lord will not be offensive. The Spirit of the Lord will not be disruptive. The Spirit of the Lord will not bring confusion. But if it is going to be the sort that it will, it will um, offend evildoers because you are telling the truth, it, let it be. So be it. But I see so much self-censorship happening now. We are all guilty of it. Because we are so afraid of the consequences of, you know, particularly in a politically repressive society like we find ourselves right now. Truth is under attack. You dare not say the truth. Who are you? Who are you to counter the narrative that is being seeded into the public space? Who are you? We live in really dangerous times. The days are evil. The days are so evil. So here in verse 18, Paul goes to a great length of extent to say that after we've taken the whole armor of God, we need to be praying always. So it's not prayer project. It's not 30 days. It's not 40 days. It's not 50 is praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and then being watchful with all perseverance and supplication so that's having a lifestyle of prayer talking to god in your heart whether you are in traffic you are in transit you are in the airplane you are in the toilet you are in the bathroom every time you remember anything that is painful and is touching your heart send a prayer up lord help me lord help nigeria lord help us deliver me strengthen me show me Give me wisdom. Heal me. Save me. Just, you know, two, three letter words. Praying always. It all adds up. I'm beginning, I'm going to, this is something I'm going to start doing. I'm going to start doing this because that's the only way. This prayer project approach has robbed me personally because I've always been waiting for when I will do a project. And then after I do the project, I feel, oh, I've done something. And then I stop. No, that's not what the Bible... The Bible, you're supposed to pray always. Not just every day, but every time. You know, as in, uh, the same way we talk every time, you know, we think exactly as the thoughts are coming, as you remember, you know, this person, before you lift up the phone to call the person, send a prayer up. Your child is away at school. Remember them, God bless, God keep. God save, God deliver, Father help. Two words, three words. I think it will go a, a long way. So this is one of those moments when I wish I could get feedback from some of you listening. So if you are listening to this um, podcast and you know me personally and you can send me a note or something, please do. Um, because I really like to hear your thoughts on this. But anyways, thank you very much for listening. Please remember... Prayer is the master key. Prayer is a lifestyle. Prayer is a 24-7 call. It doesn't have to be a project. It doesn't have to be a program. You can do projects. You can do programs. But that does not take the space of prayer. It's supposed to be an always thing. Always thing. Thank you very much for listening. God bless you. Stay lifted and have a wonderful day. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.